You know, a, a phrase we use now uh, occasionally is a shout-out. I'm going to shout-out to, to Glenn Tice, a shout-out. That means I'm hollering at him, I'm, I'm waving at him, I'm giving him some attention or recognition. Normally, it's a good thing. And this evening in Galatians chapter 6, we're going to look at Paul's, uh, God through Paul's, his final shout-out uh, to the people in Galatians. Now, this is a little bit hypocritical on my part because we're actually going to go back on Sunday morning and preach a couple of sermons in, in October and November from Galatians. So it's our final shout-out, but it's not really. So just pretend like when those sermons come on later that you don't remember this sermon. Not that you will anyway, but, uh, but it, it is a, it's a powerful section where where God, again, through Paul, has some powerful closing comments in this powerful little book. This is an intense book. Uh, and Paul, Paul's relationship with the churches, this was kind of a circular letter to the churches in Galatia, uh, was there was some strain there because of what was going on. And you, and you hear that. And so in this final section, it's like Paul really is going to put some oomph to some of the things he's tried to say to us and to them over the last uh, several weeks. And and the first thing I want to start with is be a do-gooder. Now, I didn't call my mother this week and ask her. She was an English major. I don't think she would have liked that. But it expresses what God wants us to be. He wants us to be about doing good works. And in uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10... It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, folks, here is a problem that I've seen my whole life in Christianity or in churches. And I think that it certainly was a problem back 2,000 years ago. A lot of times religious people are, are... about at least outwardly about morals and and about rituals and we have a tendency to leave out being nice would you say that's been a problem I I think it has been and it I think it was certainly a problem what he was uh, experiencing with these people in Galatia and he tells them if you're a Christ follower you need to be about doing good. Let's look at the verse again. We put it back on the screen. As we have opportunity, the biblical word opportunity means as, as there is time, as there is a season. It's a word not of convenience but of necessity. In other words, he's saying that you and I need to be about something, and we're going to see that something in just a second, out of necessity right now. It's not later on. It's not when it's convenient to you and me, but we are, are to be about this now, with an, an urgency, what are we to be about? He says, we're about, be about good. Now, it's interesting. In the New Testament Greek, there were two words used for our English word good. And this is significant. One word was the word that's transliterated, kalos, K-A-L-O-S. And, and it meant good constitutionally. It meant a fundamental goodness, but not necessarily kind or benevolent. It was, it was someone maybe who was moral and upright, but just not very nice. And then there's another Greek word for, for good, and it's the word used here, transliterated agathos, A-G-A-T-H-O-S. It meant constitutionally good, but listen, it meant profitable or beneficial 
or someone who is good and benevolent. Do you see the difference? There was, there was a biblical word for good that meant that there was a moral goodness, but maybe not a niceness about something. But the word used here is, I want you to be constitutionally good, but I want you to be profitable and benevolent. In other words, I want you to bless people and help people. You know, one of the signs when a person gets saved that you will see when a person truly gets born again, whether they're a child or whether they're an adult, almost instantaneously they want to help people. Have you ever noticed that? That they want to do something good for people. Uh, and, and that's, you know, we always joke about, well, yeah, they're just a baby Christian. Folks, baby Christians oftentimes are living out the faith, the purest and the best of any of us. And he says here, don't lose this. Oh, I'm mature. I have knowledge. Okay, so did Paul. Here's what he's saying. Be a good doer. Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at early in this passage where he was talking about doing good. I'm going to give you a quick review. How do you do good to people? It's not complicated. You pray for them. You love them. You, you listen to them. You, you, you show up and try to help them, try to be there for them. If you can give them financial help, you give them financial help. One of the things that certainly Paul was probably asking the church the churches of Galatia to do was to help the Christians in Jerusalem who were struggling from poverty and and from a, a deep famine to to help them financially. It, it, again, it's not rocket science. What he's telling us is that Christian people are to be about doing good to other people. Have we forgotten that? I'm getting some really blank looks. Be a good doer. Now, he tells us, interestingly enough, he gives us two places where we should do this. First, he says to everyone. Do it to everyone. In verse 10, let us do good to all people. That would mean people who are not nice to us. That would mean to Christians, to non-Christians, to everybody. Now, listen, Christian. Listen well, doing good to other people oftentimes is going to be the key that unlocks the door for you being able to share your faith with them. If you're a jerk for Jesus, you're not salt and light. You're something, but you're not salt and light. We're called in Matthew 5 to be salt and light, to be flavoring, to be warmth, to to show the way, to give direction. And oftentimes the key to you being able to share your faith in Jesus Christ that opens that door is by you living a life of goodness in front of someone and to someone. And when you do that, you you open the door often to being able to share your faith. Do good to everyone. Do good to everyone. Now, he also says here, especially to your Christians, to fellow Christians. Therefore, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. That's, that's interesting. What, what, what was happening here was the church was being persecuted. Uh, Jewish people coming to Christianity were oftentimes being, being uh, disowned by their own family, rejected by their family, put on the streets, losing their jobs. So they had nothing. So they had to really take care of each other. 
the, the persecution from Rome was just starting to literally heat up at this point. And so people were having a hard time. And, and, and there wasn't the, the, government, the, the government systems that we have now to help take care of people. So he was reminding them, as Christians, you help take care of one another. Uh, folks, I think this is something we forget sometimes. I think we forget it by the way we treat each other. People in this room, if they're a Christian, they're your brother and sister. You're going to spend eternity with the people uh, around you. Isn't that scary and great? Uh-oh. I thought it was going to be heaven. <laughs> well, that's where a lot of us are planning on going. I hope you are too. You see, the bond that you have with a fellow Christian a lot of times is a lot deeper and certainly going to be a lot longer than someone who, whose blood is the same as yours. And he's saying, treat each other like family. Treat each other well. Treat each other good. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 are some of our great verses. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works. You're not saved by being good so that no one can boast. We often forget to read verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? Read that with me. To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are not saved by being good, but ironically, it's your good works that show whether you're saved or not. God says, be a person who is about blessing those around you, benefiting and helping the people in your world. Do, some of you probably know the actress Amy Adams. Do you know who she is, an actress? This is a great story about her. Uh, she had been listening to a, a popular comedian, and he, he talked about how that he had always thought when he f would fly, he flies first class, and that, that he, would, uh, he would give up his seat to a soldier. You know, if he saw a military person on that flight, he would get up, give up his first class seat, let the soldier sit there, and he'd go sit in the back. But then he always concludes by saying, but I've never done it before. How many of you have flown first class before? I have one time, it was by complete accident, they goofed up my flight, and I got there, and they go, the only seat we have is first class. Will you take it? Well, I don't know. Um, the terrible thing was it was one-hour flight. I mean, I wanted just to stay on the plane. Can I just stay on the plane? One-hour flight. I mean, it's like, it's like being in your recliner and bathtub, and I mean, it was unbelievable. I, I wouldn't have given it up for anybody that day, probably. But uh, Amy was on a flight sitting in first class and she remembered what she'd heard this comedian say and she saw a soldier in the back so she got this the stewardess's attention and she said I don't want you to I don't want to know who them to know who this came from I want to let him sit in my seat and I want to go sit in his seat and she swapped with him now there was a ESPN uh, official sitting in first class who knew who she was, who watched and heard the whole thing and tweeted it. That's how I know the story today. But isn't that great? That's just doing good to people. Why are we so hesitant to share a little bit of money or some food or some help? Oh, we're going to be taken advantage of. We're going to facilitate bad behavior. Well, you, you don't want to facilitate bad behavior. But again, I said this two weeks ago. I'd rather be guilty of being overly kind and stupid than being uh, selfish and, uh, and not helping people.
Do good to people. Do good to people is what the Word says. Now, here's the last section that he really drives home to us. He tells us to be good doers. And then he says, don't forget, Christianity is an inside-out job. It's an inside-out job. This is one reason a lot of people aren't good who are religious. They don't know Christ. But Christianity starts from the heart and comes out. It's not about the outward first. It's about the inward. Now, before we dive into that, it's neat here. You have a special emphasis from from Paul. Look in verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Now, this isn't the only place that Paul says this. There's a couple other spots he does, but it's mostly he's just signing his name. Now, here's how probably our 13 New Testament letters that have Paul's name on them, how God and he did this. He would... Paul would have a secretary with him. Let's say that Josh is Paul and Braden is the secretary. Wouldn't that have been terrible, Braden? You'd have had to write with a crayon and it would have just been miserable. But uh, Josh dictates and Braden, Braden writes, okay? And, and at the end of the letter, uh, Josh wants to put, uh, to let everybody know this came from me. So he would sign it with his, in his own handwriting. Again, a couple of places Paul does this, but apparently here, the last verses that we're going to see really from 11 to the end of the chapter, Paul himself wrote. And, and if you, you look at this verse again, he says, see what, see what large letters I write to you with my own hand. Why was he writing with large letters? There's three theories. One was that Paul was a tent maker. He worked with leather. And that maybe at this point in his life, his hands from doing that were arthritic and he had a hard time writing, so, so he didn't write well. I don't really think that it's that one. I, I kind of buy into the next two. The, the second theory is, is that Paul had an eye problem. Remember the thorn in the flesh? Some people believe, a lot of good scholars believe, that Paul, when he was blinded on the road to Damascus, part of the thing he carried with him the rest of his life was uh, an ophthalmology issue, serious eye problems. And so when he wrote, he had to write in big letters. But also, almost certainly, he was writing for emphasis here, like Sit up, wake up, and listen to what I am fixing to say to you. How many of you have ever got an email in all caps? It's like, okay, I get it. Brenda sends me one like five times a day like that. Wake up and come do something. Get out out here. You know, when someone sends you an email with all caps, sometimes it's an accident. They didn't mean to do it. They just left it on caps. But, you know, if everything's in all caps and bold print and underlined, maybe they're trying to say something to you. Would you agree with that? Uh, And so that's kind of what Paul was doing here. I think it was his eyes, but I also think Paul... Uh, if Paul would have had his Apple laptop sending this letter out, he would have gone with the bold and the, uh, the caps and maybe the italics here and underlined because what he wanted to communicate was so important, okay? Here's the two things I think he's trying to get across to him. It, it stems from the, the first thought. It, it's, it's always easy to make our faith about outward rules and religions, He had driven this home, and now he's wanting to smack it down. It's always easier to make our faith about the outward rules and religions. Look in verse 12 and 13. 
Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. Who are these people? Well, it was Jewish people. Uh, Certainly it was what this group we call the Judaizers. Judaizers, some of them may have been true Christians. Some of them probably weren't. But they were people who were trying to mix Judaism with Christianity. And so what they were basically saying is someone joins your, come down to join your fellowship, they say, I want to become a Christian. They'd say, okay, you've got to have faith in Christ. It's grace plus faith. Plus, if you're a man and you're a, a Greek or, or a non-Jew, it's circumcision. And then men and women, it's, it's beca- you're becoming a Jew. It's, it's mixing Judaism with Christianity with the emphasis on the outward things of Judaism. And here's what he says to him: He says, part of the reason they're doing this is because they're, they're wimpy. They're trying to avoid persecution. Now, what did he mean by that? Well... The people who were getting persecuted were the Christians. Paul was getting hammered by the Jewish people and the Judaizers because he was saying you can come to God through Jesus Christ. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to practice Judaism. You can be saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And this infuriated them. And they were attacking and killing them. Plus, the Romans were persecuting Christians heavily at this time too. Now, now this is interesting. In in Jesus' day and in Paul's day here, Judaism was a legal religion. There were several legal religions. Christianity was not. So if you wanted to say on the safe side of things, you stayed a member at the synagogue. If you joined the First Baptist Church in your little community... You were, were fixing to be a target, especially if you were a Jewish person, not only of Jews, but of the Roman government. See, t- 2,000 years ago and today, doing the religious thing is easy, isn't it? You, you fit in. It's the norm. You're in control if this is about doing religious rituals. You're in control. If you go, well, I sign the card, I go through the class, and then I'm right with God. You wear the cross, you do the things, and you're part of the club. It's always easier to be a good Baptist or Methodist or Catholic, Presbyterian Church of Christ, than it is to be a good follower of Jesus. Amen. How can you tell if maybe this is you? I think it goes back to the very first thing I said at the beginning of the sermon. Sometimes if we're moral and religious, maybe a little self-righteous but not very nice, we've kind of missed the inside-out thing. We're kind of doing it by the rules. You see, he wrote this with a large hand, and I think the final thing he wanted to drive home with him is Christianity is an inside-out job. You can't create it. You can't fake it for very long. You you can't make it up. Christianity is an inside-out job. And this is so much harder. This is so much harder. 
Listen, I've talked to people in every church I've pastored about joining the church, and some of them will say, well, where do we sign up? Where do we sign up? What do we need to do? I said, well, you need to give your life to Christ, <laughs> and you need to be baptized. You need to make a public profession, and then you become a member. It's really easy after that. Well, I really wanted to sign a card and join the club. It's a whole lot easier to surrender your life to someone, isn't it? See, that's one reason really wealthy people and sometimes really successful people have a hard time with Christ because they can't buy it or they can't manufacture it or they can't control it. And now listen, this isn't just about being saved. This is the whole ball of wax. It's an inside-out job. It's about surrendering yourself to Jesus Christ and letting Him do the work from the inside out. And, And again, it starts with salvation. Look in verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this beautiful verse. Read this aloud with me. When Paul said to them, it's not about circumcision or, or, or uncircumcision, what he was saying was so powerful to them. He said, it's not about religion. It's not about religion. It's not about your rules or your way of doing it. It's about Christ coming in your life and saving you. And, and, and the bottom line is, on the salvation part, folks, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. It starts there, but if you have that, you have nothing. The inside out starts when you are saved. You're born again. See, we can baptize you, sprinkle you. You can join the church. You can go through the classes and all that's great. But you will not be saved until you surrender your heart from Christ and you are born again from the inside out. But let me remind you too this evening, this is the way that we live our lives as Christians. This is the way we live our life as Christians. I want to do a little read 15 and then read 14 kind of backwards. Circumcision or uncircumcision means nothing. What counts is a new creation. Now look in verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The Jewish people boasted in their laws and the rules and in circumcision. Paul says, I boast and the cross of Christ. Now listen, what's cool? We love the cross, don't we? We sing about the cross. We have a beautiful cross in our baptistry. We wear crosses. We have cross tattooed on us. We have them all over our homes. I've said if if a vampire ever broke in my home, he'd die quickly. we got 5,000 crosses all over the place, uh, which is great. I love the cross. But go back 2,000 years ago, the cross literally was, as we sing, a symbol of suffering and shame. Did you know in Roman society, polite Roman people did not mention the word cross uh, in, in a public setting? And here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I rejoice in the cross. The cross is where I found my Jesus. The cross is where the penalty was paid for my sin. But Christian, you don't come through the cross and abandon it. You live your whole life glued to the cross. We are called to live a crucified life. 
Remember our memory verse a month or two back, Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. This is a continual action. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul said was, when I was saved, I was saved by what Christ did on the cross. I died, and he began a new life in me, but I continue that life as a crucified life. When was the last time you took your ego, your will, your wishes, and your wants to the cross and let Jesus be, be crucifying them? You know, that should be an everyday event. We ought to be looking more like Jesus every day. But the only way that happens is there's got to be a death of something and that has to be you and me. Luke 9, 23, beautiful verse. If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his daily and follow me. I want to read to you a quote. It's really, it's worth writing down and remembering. Many people believe in the crucified Christ, but few people believe in the crucified life. Think about that. Many, I'll I'll paraphrase in a different way. Many church people boast and believe in the crucified Christ, which is great. But few of us really practice the crucified life. Paul said, I have been crucified to myself and to the world. Not world as in people, but the world as in man's way of doing things. I put my ego, my will, myself, and I die to it. See, Christianity never stops being an inside-out job. It's meant to be lived in prayer, in Bible study, in communion with other believers. We're on a constant and regular basis. We're becoming more like Jesus, and we're dying more to who we are. It's a constant inside-out job. So I want to ask you this evening, how are we doing with this? I guess a good question would be is how, how are you growing and becoming more like Jesus in your life? Some of us are pretty good at crucifying others. We're not very good at crucifying ourselves. Inside out. Christian, in a moment when we stand and sing as we do at the end of all of our services, maybe tonight where you're standing or at the altar, you need to ask Christ to do a fresh work on the inside out in your life. Certainly every one of us as Christians need to make a, a fresh commitment to live in, as Paul said, the, the true faith from the inside out. Will you do that tonight? You want to join the church? You can certainly do that when we stand. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, man, that's the beautiful thing about the cross. Jesus died for you. He died for you. So that from the inside out, he could save you and change you. Let's stand. As God leads you tonight, you respond to him. We'll be down here waiting on you.